Good morning, church family. And welcome everyone to our first Sunday together in 2024 and our final Sunday together in Acts chapter 4. As today we will be back in the book of Acts and we will be finishing up today Acts chapter 4 by looking specifically this morning at verses 32 through 37 or when the early church had everything in common which is a quick refresher here, being that we have not been in the book of Acts for a couple of weeks now, comes on the heels, church, of the apostles of Jesus Christ, Peter and John, going to the temple to pray, where after being asked by a lame man at the temple gate for alms or for money, the apostle Peter then eventually said to him, as we see in Acts chapter 3, verse 6, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then verse 7, took this lame man by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately then, the lame man's feet and ankles were made strong, and he was healed. Only for the apostle Peter then to eventually address the people verse 11, who ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's by initially exalting the name of Jesus Christ, by making it clear to the crowd here that it was Jesus Christ who made this man strong and who healed him, only to then call this same crowd to repent and to turn back to God so that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. However, as Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. And they arrested Peter and John and put them into custody. Only for Peter and John then the next day to be questioned by the Sanhedrin or by the Jewish high court, who asked them, by what power or by what name did you do this? obviously inquiring here about the healing of the lame man, to which the apostle Peter then, filled with the Holy Spirit, made clear to the Sanhedrin that it was by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this lame man is standing before you all, to which the Sanhedrin then charged Peter and John not to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus, only to then further threaten them and let them go. And thus when Peter and John then were released, for they went to their friends and shared with them what the chief priest and the elders said to them. And thus when they heard it, Acts 4 verse 24, they lifted up their voices and prayed, eventually praying as we see in verse 29, for the Lord to look upon their threats and to grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And they all then, as we see in verse 31, were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And yet the early church, for they were not only speaking and proclaiming the word of God with boldness here, but as we will see in our text today, for they also had everything in common as well which might be a concept, church, that is really, really difficult for us to understand, being that we live in a culture 
and society today that is ever so quick to say, oh, that's mine, or oh, I earned that, I received that, I obtained that, and therefore I am not going to share any of that. And thus, in light of that, the 20th century pastor, L.H. Shue, for he shared this, that there once was a Native American man who heard that European men slept on feathers and that they really enjoyed it. So he thought to himself that he would give it a try. Therefore, one evening he took three feathers, placed them on a rock for his pillow, and laid down on them to sleep. And he had a terrible night's rest. And in the morning he awoke with a headache and said to himself, for how on earth is it possible for these European men to sleep on feathers and actually enjoy it? And what was his trouble? For he had not taken enough feathers. For if he had put thousands of feathers in a bag and used that for his pillow, for then he would have experienced how satisfactory it is to sleep on feathers. And so it is with many Christians. For they do not enjoy giving because they do not give abundantly or freely. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, church or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. The early church was a unified body of believers, committed to evangelism and to generously caring for the needs of one another. Again, our thesis statement this morning is this. The early church was a unified body of believers, committed to evangelism, and to generously caring for the needs of one another. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. And if you are joining us today and do not have a Bible with you, or do not own a Bible, fear not, because there is a Bible located in the chairs in front of you this morning with your name on it. A Bible that you can grab that you can keep if you don't have one, and that you can even use this morning as well by turning that Bible to page 912 at this time and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. Again, we will be in Acts chapter 4 this morning, church, and we will be looking specifically at verses 32 through 37, where the author of the book of Acts, Dr. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it 
at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you bless this dear congregation this morning. Father, I pray that you build us up in the unity of the faith, the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Father, as individuals who love you, we have been called to love one another. And I pray that we be convicted this morning to love each other more passionately, to care for each other more passionately, and to live in harmony together with great consistency. Father, I pray with my, or pray for this morning, my brother in Christ, Pastor Ricardo, as he is at New Hope Christian Fellowship this morning. Father, I pray that you ease his mind as he begins his candidating process today. Lord, let him not seek to try to impress the congregation with plausible words of wisdom, but instead to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Father, I pray for all the dear ones who are not with us today due to the weather and due to illness, but who are likely following along on Facebook. Father, we pray that this word pierces their soul this morning as well. Father, I pray that you help my lisping and my stammering tongue at this time. Lord, give me the words to speak, to glorify you, Father, and by your grace, that these words, that they edify this dear congregation, and Lord, that we grow together day by day throughout this year, 2024 and beyond, in Christian unity together, because we are all now, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, one together in Jesus Christ. Through this marvelous work we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, the early church was a unified body of believers and was committed to evangelism. The early church was a unified body of believers and was committed to evangelism. Verses 32 and 33. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So as we open here in verse 32... We see that now the full number of those who believed, or as the CSB puts it now, the entire group of those who believed. For they, this congregation here, who believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, for they were, verse 32, of one heart and soul. In essence, for they were united together, in unity together, and lived in harmony together to which you might be wondering here, church, as one commentator noted, for how on earth is this even possible? That the entire group of those who believed that they were of one heart, one soul, were united together and living in harmony together. I mean, marriages, for example, 
For they are only made up of two people, and they end all the time over disputes. And nuclear families, for example, for they become divided all the time over an array of different conflicts and opinions. And extended families, for example, for some of them can't even get together for Christmas over divisions due to money, political affiliations, or how children should ultimately be raised. And yet here in the book of Acts, you have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of individuals who are of one heart, one soul, one mind, who were united together and living in harmony together. And thus again, for how on earth is this even possible? And the answer to that question is, or it wasn't because they all trusted in the same political leader here, church. Nor because they all cheered for the same football team here. Nor even because they all had the same common hobbies, pastimes, or leisurely interest here. But instead, it was their faith and their belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ that ultimately united and unified them all here. Which does not mean, again, as numerous commentators point out here, that all these early Christians then, all of a sudden, all began to think the same way, church, or to look the same way, church, or to talk the same way, sound the same way, and all have the same exact opinions, preferences, perspectives, and points of view. But instead, what it does mean is that despite all their different backgrounds and cultures, languages and levels of wealth, opinions and preferences, points of view and traditions, that the early church, this congregation of believers, that they were of one heart together, one soul together, were united in their belief of the gospel of Jesus Christ together, and were committed to serving and to following the Lord Jesus Christ together as well. So much so, as we see then in verse 32, that no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but that they had everything in common. And verse 33, that with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Or as the NIV puts it, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. And that you have this early Christian community here, not only having everything in common or sharing everything that they had, but you also have the apostles of Jesus Christ here, verse 33, with great power, also giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus as well despite the fact, church, that the apostles, Peter and John, were just told by the Sanhedrin or told by the Jewish high court in verse 18 to stop speaking and teaching in the name of Jesus and in verse 21 were just threatened by these same Sanhedrin as well. And yet notice here, church, as Egypt Fernando so astutely pointed out, that although verse 32, and as we will see, verse 34, are both about the sharing of possessions, sandwiched in between them in verse 33 is a verse about evangelism. And why this detour, you might ask? Because community life is never an end in itself. And Luke guards against giving any impression here to his readers that there was any period when the early church 
did not evangelize. Us in terms of churches prioritizing evangelism today, Fernando, for he concludes with this, that prioritizing or placing a focus on evangelism in churches today, that it will actually help with unity within the church. Since far too often, meetings in churches that have lost their evangelistic passion, for they tend to become an unbearable test of patience, because hours are spent battling over matters that are of little consequence in connection with the growth of God's kingdom. Whereas if we have a passion to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out to the lost, and if we have truly died to self, then we will not waste time arguing over inconsequential church matters. And thus in light of that, for let me ask you all then this morning, church, for are you truly passionate about evangelism and truly passionate about sharing the gospel with others, and truly passionate about the nations, hearing about the crucified and risen Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Because it is my prayer for us here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church to be a church body that isn't passionate about each of us getting our own way, nor that is passionate about fighting over our own preferences or opinions, nor even that is passionate about quarreling over ministry philosophies, corporate worship principles, or tertiary doctrinal beliefs. But instead, it is my prayer for us as a church body to be a church that is passionate about being ambassadors for Jesus Christ as we implore others on behalf of Jesus Christ to be reconciled to God. And that is passionate about always being prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in us. And that is passionate about going and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For that is what I pray that we as a church body in the year of our Lord 2024 and beyond is truly passionate about. Passionate about bringing the gospel of Jesus Jesus Christ to this fallen world around us and not passionate about all we seeking to merely get our own way. Which brings us to point number two. The early church was a united, unified body of believers and was committed to generously caring for the needs of one another. The early church was a unified body of believers and was committed to generously caring for the needs of one another. Verses 34 through 37. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So keep in mind here, church, that we just read in verse 32 that the early church was of one heart 
and one soul. And that no one said that any of the things that belongs to him was his own, but that they had everything in common. And in verse 33, that great grace was upon them all. Great grace upon them all, seemingly meaning here, as one scholar explains it, that the activity of God's grace was seen not merely in the preaching of the apostles, but also in the way in which members of the early church were freed from material needs, which seems to make sense, since as we see in verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, and that within the early church, again, that was made up at this time of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of individuals, that there was not one of them who was without water or clothes or food or shelter or anything else they needed to live. For, or as the CSB puts it, because, verse 34, as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And verse 35, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. In essence, you had individuals here, church, individuals who were part of this early Christian community who owned land and who owned houses, i.e. individuals who had some wealth to their names or some property to their names, but who were also not hoarding all the wealth that they had, nor stockpiling all the wealth that they had, nor refusing to share any of the wealth that they had, but who instead, as we see in verse 34, for as many as were owners of lands and houses, they sold them. Or as the NIV puts it, from time to time, those who own land or houses sold them. And again, this is not a form of communism here, church, but instead these were seemingly wealthy and affluent and well-to-do individuals who were freely and willingly and sacrificially selling their lands and their houses here and then bringing, verse 34, the proceeds of what was sold and verse 35, laying it at the apostles' feet and then it was distributed to each as any had need. And Dr. Luke, for he gives us here an example of this type of generosity in verses 36 and 37, where we read about a man by the name of Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And as we see here, this man, again, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, for he, verse 37, sold a field that belonged to him, and then, verse 37, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And this man, who the apostles called Barnabas, as one commentator writes, for the fact that he laid it, the money, at the apostles' feet, for it displays submission, humility, and trust. And that Barnabas trusted the apostles to distribute it, and he did not want any credit for how it was used. Nor was he interested in any self-glorification here, but instead in God's glory. And thus, just as some Christians have a lifetime of teaching ministry ahead of them, for others are positioned to spend their lifetimes blessing others through financial giving. Therefore, may we be a people who look for ways to give generously 
sacrificially, and gladly. And may the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and a deeper grasp of Christ's grace make us Barnabas-like servants. And may such generosity then lead to a wonderful experience of unity. Now trust me when I say this, church. For I know that we are a generous and sacrificial and always willing to give financially type of church. For myself and the Bunting family as a whole just experienced this firsthand via the love offering that you took for us all back in December. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you all for your generosity and your willingness to give to us so sacrificially, especially during the expensive Christmas season. Nevertheless, if you are someone who at times struggles to give generously to others, or if you are someone who tends to get a bit hard-hearted when you see yet another request from this church come across your email, or if you are someone who just rolls their eyes when this church takes yet another benevolence offering for the deacon's ministry, or brings forth yet another missionary who you could support, or ask you to help yet another family in this church who has a financial need. Then lovingly, let me share with you these words from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. From Matthew chapter 25, words that have impacted me, convicted me, and in all honesty, shaped me greatly as a Christian. Those words being that when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you in sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you. Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, 
you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. For our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, for he said this, church, that what you did to the least of these, my brothers, i.e., to the least of these, my disciples, or to those who have placed their faith in me, for you did it to me. And thus, if you have the world's goods, Christian, and the world's money, Christian, and the world's possessions and materials and financial means available to you, Christian, and you see your brother or sister in Christ needing help buying their groceries, or needing help paying their bills, or needing help buying clothes for their children, keeping their heat on, putting food on the table, or keeping a roof over their head. For do not close your heart against them, but instead seek to love them in deed and in truth. Since what good is it, Christian, if someone says they have faith but do not have works? For can that faith save them? For if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, without giving to them the things needed for the body, for what good is that? So also then faith by itself, for if it does not have good works, is dead. James 2, verses 14 through 17. Therefore, let me encourage you all here this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, For as you have opportunity to seek to do good to everyone, but especially to those Christians who are of the household of faith, since whoever loves God, 1 John 4, 21, for they must also love their brother. Now as we begin to close this morning, for I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who was here first. And to share with you at this time, non-Christian, the message that truly does unite us, the Christians here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church, that message being the gospel of Jesus Christ, or the good news that Jesus Christ, the begotten Son of God, came into this world as truly God and as truly man to save sinners. Sinners like you and like me, non-Christian, from their very sins, which he did by initially living a life here on earth that truly was perfect, and that unlike us who sin against our holy God each and every day and who deserve the wrath of our holy God for our very sins, Jesus Christ, when he lived and dwelt among us, for he did not sin once, but instead kept and fulfilled the law of God, non-Christian, for the very children of God. However, being that the children of God have all fallen short of the glory of God and deserve the holy wrath of God for this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, for He not only lived for them the life that they could never live, but He also then took their very sins upon Himself and bore the wrath of their holy God for their very sins by being pierced and crucified, killed, and crushed on a cross at Calvary in their place and as their very substitute, even though he himself never sinned. 
And in doing so, he, Jesus Christ then, not only satisfied the justice of our holy God, but he also appeased then, non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God toward his sinful children as well. And thus, because of that, three days later, then this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life up as a ransom for many, for he didn't remain dead or buried in some grave, but instead three days later, since sin and death then had no power or no claim over him, for he, Jesus Christ then, for he rose from the dead and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can save you from your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his perfect life, in his righteousness, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, and today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, for as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, for I'd like to do so in light of the theme of Christian unity. Because if there is one thing that has come up over and over and over again as I have chatted with different pastors throughout the BFC, it's their concern about 2024, a presidential election year, mind you, being a year of division within their church bodies and not a year of Christian unity. And I can honestly say that that particular concern hasn't really crossed my mind for us as a church body, but I can also honestly say that ever since I have been a pastor here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church, that I have always been sensitive to and prayerful about our unity as a church body, no matter the season or the year. Because how sad it is that you can find story after story after story about Christians and churches and brothers and sisters in Christ fighting and arguing and quarreling over just about anything and everything imaginable. For example, I read a story this week, church, from a pastor by the name of Benjamin Carner who shared this story about a church business meeting where the hot topic issue of the meeting was getting a new chandelier put in in the church lobby. And one of the members of the church stood up and said bitterly, I'm against the purchasing of this new chandelier for three reasons. Reason one, because no one in the church knows how to spell it. Reason number two, because no one in this church knows how to play it. And reason number three, Because what we really need in this church is something that will give us better and brighter lighting in the church lobby. And thus, how then can we as Christians 
maintain a biblical standard of unity within the church. Carner again, for he offers this, that we must have spiritual unity in Jesus Christ. And that our unity, church family, for it cannot be founded on a certain politician or on a certain deceptive philosophy of man. Nor can it be based on what comes out of Fox News or CNN. Nor can it be rooted in or grounded in our love for a certain celebrity pastor or evangelical leader or Christian podcaster, author, blogger, or social media influencer. But instead, our unity, church family, for it must be founded on, based on, and never waver from Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins, redeemed us from our sins, cleansed us of our sins, and who saved us from our sins. And thus, as the redeemed then church, as those who have been been saved by the blood of the Lamb and who are all one in Jesus Christ, for we must then, church, love one another and be at peace with one another and be kind to one another, forgive one another, honor one another, and live in harmony with one another. Therefore, let me lovingly encourage you all here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, to not be eager then to seek to get your own way, nor to be eager to fight for all of your own personal preferences, but instead to be eager here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And thus it is my prayer that we as a church body, as those who have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, that we be truly united and unified together in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you, Father, give us the grace we need to not only be passionate and united in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world, but that we also be quick to care for the needs of those who are part of this household of faith as well. Also that you, God, then can be glorified. Our church family then can become more unified and so that this sinful and fallen world all around us then can hear about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you have taken us from so many unique backgrounds, and yet it is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that all of us have been saved to the point now that there is no Jew nor Greek slave nor free, male or female, but as the Apostle Paul writes, for we are all one in Jesus Christ. And it is through our unity, as Paul writes in Ephesians 3, that the manifold wisdom of God then is revealed, that he can take individuals from every walks of life and make them one in Christ, members 
of the church. Father, I pray that you give us a zeal this year, grace upon grace, great grace, that we seek our unity together above all else in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let 2024 be a year for us, but we are united together, bonded together, bearing with each other in love, in harmony together. Yes, Father, I know that we are not going to agree on anything, but that's the beauty of this, that we are individuals who think differently, individuals who look differently, who act differently from different backgrounds, and yet we have been brought together as one through faith in Jesus Christ. Let that be the thing that bonds us together deeply this year and until Christ comes again. Strengthen us in this grace, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.